This episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by Dunlop Bass Strings. Dunlop Bass Strings are made in California and designed by the players of Dunlop to sound and feel the way a string should. With deep lows, strong fundamental punchy mids, and articulate highs. Dunlop Bass Strings offer a complete line with standard nickel and stainless round wounds, flat wounds, and super brights. They're also available in short, medium, and long scales. So go to jimdunlop.com and check out Dunlop Bass Strings. What's up, friends? Welcome to Bass Freaks, presented by Dunlop. This is a place for all of us Bass Freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Doug Wimbish. Big round of applause. You may know Doug from his work with Living Color, uh, Tack Head, so many sessions, um, Sugar Hill, Hill Gang, uh, James Brown, right? You That's correct. James Brown. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know the half of them, but I do know, and I just learned this, that you played on white lines one of my favorites that's you right that is me yes sir ah can i just ask how that came about i'm just gonna jump right into this. okay well first of all hello good people and i hope everybody's cool and chilling out like josh is right now because he's mad chill and we're <laughs> having a good time right here live and in stereo us fellow bassists white lines sugar hill how did that come to be? Well, um, let's see. That must have, I think White Lines came out in like 1990, I mean, 1983, somewhere in that time frame. Can't remember. But anyway, how did it start? Like all records it, that we recorded at Sugar Hill, it generally started with a DJ okay. so bringing in certain ideas. Sylvia Robinson being able to sift through the ideas and say, hey, what about this one? What about that one? As a, as a song that we can use as a template to record. White Lines followed that same suit. Originally, it's a song by a band, Liquid Liquid. It was a groove that was, in, that was being played by DJs in New York City clubs and across the world actually at that time. Who bought that to the table? Maybe it was Flash, maybe, but I think it was Melly Mel that had his eye and ear on that song. So anyway, um, that was a song that was done quite quickly. The personnel on that recording was Reggie Griffin, who pretty much put the song together, playing drums, uh, programming the drums, and other elements. He's a horn player as well. Um, Melly Mel, doing the raps. Myself and Craig Derry and on vocals. Myself on vocals. Reggie. Maybe it was Angie Stone on background vocals as well. And Cheryl the Pearl. Both are for, with the band Sequence. So it was quite minimal. I think maybe Keith LeBlanc might have overdubbed a hi-hat on that song. But that was pretty much the personnel. It was a song that I remember 
it, it was recorded quite quickly. I was living in Philadelphia at the time, drove up, um, and just kind of like knocked it out and then drove back home. It must have been may, maybe took about, you know, uh, half an hour to record and the other two or three hours, I'm just chopping it up and having fun with the fam there. And that was pretty much it. And a lot of re records were recorded like that. It was quick, active environment. There's always people and personnel in the studio to keep you vibed up. So you were always on your P's and Q's spiritually and musically. Um, and that's how that record came out. I think it was, was recorded. And it that, just took off. That come as a, was it a, a session? Or were you, was it your, your kind of like your people, your, your, like a group? Well, Sugar Hill Records, I was the studio bassist for okay. all the acts that were signed to Sugar Hill. And those acts were the Sugar Hill Gang, the Sequence, Funky Four Plus One, the Crash Crew, Mean Machine, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Spoonie so, G, and I'm sorry if I forgot any other artists. And also we were recording some R&B with artists as well. I recorded with uh, Jack McDuff, the organ player, Candy Staten, right. and also with the Harry Ray from the Moments, Felipe Wynn. Um, Wilson Pickett. So there was an R&B jazz division by way of Chess Records, which Sugar Hill owned and distributed at that time. And Marshall Chess was overseeing that. And then there was the rap part that was actually paying all the bills from when Rapper's Delight was recorded in 1979. <laughs> and then that went straight through until about 1984, 85. And at that point, I started to... I started to to make my uh, moves over to uh, working at Tommy Boy Records and and Philly International. So many recordings. Um, that was my Berkeley College of Music on steroids because <laughs> we were not only were we recording songs, but for all the different artists, but we were also producing, writing, and translating what the art form of rap to records. And what does that mean? Rappers had, uh, were always um, working with DJs primarily, or with right. maybe, maybe it might've been a drummer in the park or whatever, but primarily rap crews have their DJ. Um, so when it came time for us to record in the studio, the DJ would bring in the ideas and then we would have to translate in a sense with an arranger, Jigs, Chase and Sylvia, but mainly the band had to sit down and go, okay, let's map it out. And how do so we do that? Song, in song format? Yeah, we'd had to figure mm -hmm. it out. But what also took place, Josh, was there's nothing like seeing how, how people perform in real time. So Myself and Sylvia Robinson and some others would go see the band or the, the crews perform at maybe Disco Fever, which was one of the main clubs in the Bronx that hip hop artists were re, uh, performing at. So you would basically go and just watch maybe, say, Flash, he's spinning. You'd watch the dance floor. You see what's getting people riled up. I kind of make right. a few notes. 
And then on, you know, Monday, maybe that might have happened on the weekend. On Monday, we get together and Sylvia might have been like, what was, you know, Flash would come in to the studio and have his turntable to reenact some of the things and play some of the grooves again. And Sylvia would be like, Flash, what was that song? Uh, Doug, can you remember how it went? Oh, yeah, it was that bep, 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 And it might have been, eight, what, and that riff turned out to be a song called Eighth Wonder that was actually written by Ronald LaPree from the Commodores. So it's amazing how everything kind of like DJ playing a groove, they may not know the history of the musicians, but we kind of did, you know? So we would translate what the DJ is, is playing and then put it into a form. Um, and that was an art form because really, Musicians at that time weren't aligned a, a lot with what was going on in the hip hop world. They did eventually, but at first they were kind of like, mm, some of them were, you know, kind of not <laughs> feeling it. And at the same time, as a musician, you had to understand how to listen to what a rapper is saying, as opposed to kind of like, I'm a you know, I'm a bass player and I'm schooled and I hear everything in perfect pitch. You got to throw that out the window. Yeah, you <laughs> just put that it's way over there. It's kind of, so you had to translate the inharmonic frequencies and kind of go more with the happy, the real earthy frequencies to be able to make it all happen. And that's what we did. That was a huge role and a huge History. part of what we did to make those records come to life. Why? Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes we would be in the studio and an arranger would have a certain idea and we would play the groove and the rap artist would be there looking at you and their face would curl up and you knew something was going on. And then we'd stop and they'd go, yo, the rapper would go, yo, fellas, sorry, man, but that, that groove you guys got, that sounds like it's for an older crowd. That ain't it's not for ah. us. So you had to, you know, it's, it was about, it was, tr it was movement. You stay in motion, but you had to listen and you had to translate what a rapper is telling you. Different from a singer humming you a melody or giving you a chord progression. Rappers were like, yo, I needed to be, I needed to be dope here. No, you got to amp that S up. No, man, don't worry about that. Flip it. Don't worry about the Don't worry if it's out of tune. No, 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 no. Don't change so you're, that. You're adapting to just a different language. We're translators. And, and, yeah, that's amazing. You know, that's amazing. and at the same time, we were creating something for the, you know, it's kind of like we're now we were the first rhythm section. Keith LeBlanc on drums, Skip McDonald on guitar, and myself on bass that were not only the first rap rhythm section that did all of those records but we were also the first rhythm section because we toured with the sugar hill gang to take rap abroad to the world so it was like putting us it was like us going to mars you know when we would go off to europe because nobody had ever seen rap before so anyway it was white lines was at the tail end of that whole movement because that was one of the it came out in 83 84 but 
by that time, it would there would have been many hit records, Apache, Eighth Wonder, Freedom, That's the Joint, The Message, Funk, you know what I mean? I can go on and on. So we had a role going in the system, and, a, and White Lines was the... Um, was part of that Motown-esque Sugar Hill kind of like movement. And we just knocked it out. I'm glad you did because that sound and that era of hip-hop and, and R&B is one of my personal favorites. And, uh, I mean, I, I can still listen to it now with just as much wonder and... Uh, love as i did the first time i i heard it so kudos to you cheers man that's Yay, man. amazing it's... let's um let's talk a little bit about your history like your journey how you got from where you started to where you are today okay coming from hartford connecticut growing up in this a child of the 60s and 70s a lot of music was taking place here I would see a lot of live bands and was very inspired by local legends and local funk bands that were playing at the time or soul bands. First of all, every band that I saw when I was about 10 years old, you had to have soul in your name of the band. Okay. Mm. So it was like the chocolate soul machine, the soul premieres, Barry and the soul set, Tony Bowens and the soul choppers. So this was soul James Brown that whole, you know, was in full effect. 60s, early 70s. Um, so I'm absorbing all of that. College radio was great here. Great jazz radio programmers. So I'm picking, you know, I'm getting all of that down my neck and into my ears. So that was the first, you know, you're listening to AM radio. I'm also listening to like, <laughs> you know, like you hear, you hear Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones come on. And then you hear something like by Chubby Checker doing the twist come on. And then you hear Sly and the Family Stone dance to the music and all the great records, you know, that would be on AM radio. So, you know, kind of taking all of that in. Was in, in, in my journey just started off as a listener. And you know, and just kind of checking out the scene. Hanging was out. it always was it always uh, a specific genre, or were you interested in just a lot of different things? Always interested in a lot of different things. I like the sound of it, you know. Like all like us in school, the first beatbox was us banging on the desk. You know what I mean? Making rhythms and stuff. We just we're kids, you know. You just kind of like listen to. Yes, sir. To the radio, but also I have an older brother and sister, so I'm inspired by what they're listening to and their friends, and you know, so that's kind of where it started as a listener. Then one day, um, they were the, the town of Bloomfield was doing a collection where they would go around, take it, have a big truck come by and pick up your refrigerator or your stove, and that was a big day for us kids. We'd ride around and see what people were throwing out. My next door neighbor threw out a mandolin and a and a banjo. My sister was, you know, little rats going through the rubbish. I pull it out. It's a banjo. I mean, a mandolin. And anyway, I, you know, asked my mom if I could actually keep it. And she was like, well, go next door and let the next door neighbors know whether they made a mistake throwing it out. And, that, and I, I went next door and said, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Woods, uh, it's a mandolin. Can I? Is it okay if I keep this? They're like, sure. So that was my first instrument, was a mandolin. 
And as it unfolded, it, it was a 1919 Gibson mandolin that I had no idea that it wasn't. This is a whole other story until later. But got that, <laughs> had eight strings, eventually broke four. So that was my first instrument. Second friend of mine, would, you know, one of my friends had a guitar, started playing that. Anyway, fast forward now, my mother's from the Bahamas. I would go down there for summer vacations in, in 1968, 69. Young uncles. Jackson 5 is out at that time. I was young, big Afro. And in Nassau, there was no radio. There was a radio station, no television station. My uncles came up with the bright idea of telling people I was Jermaine Jackson in the Jackson 5. (laughs) (laughs) So they would usher me around and bring me to clubs so that they could actually get in and drink. And And it it worked. worked. And it it worked perfectly, Josh. So here I am, 12 years old, in a club, big Afro, premature mustache, listening to, you know, Ezra and the Polka Dots, these amazing Bahamian bands. So uh, that, was a, that was another tipping, t- another highlight. My aunt had a store on Bay Street. Half of it was a, uh, was a music store. The other half was a furniture store. And I would, she would let me go hang out in there and during, you know, this, during lunchtime when, they, when it was siesta. So I'd you know, mess around all the instruments. But that was very inspiring for me, Josh, because... You know, when you're, I'm out of the country, I'm like, people think I'm this friggin', I'm Jermaine Jackson. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, how I am I going to pull this? Amazing. You know, how am I going to come back home? So you come back home and I'm like, you know what? I, you know, I really want to focus and be a musician. I don't want to impersonate somebody. So that was, a, that was a kicker for me and came back and started really get digging in and, you know, okay. So high school started playing guitar and bass. Okay. Graduate. And then I met some, L, some some friends that were really inspiring. Skip McDonald out of Dayton, Ohio, and Otha Stokes out of Dayton, Harold Sargent. They were, they were friends of the Ohio players, and they, they were really a part of the whole, you know, funk scene out scene, of, you yeah. know, they knew Bootsy and Catfish. And so I was like, you know, these guys are really good. They've been on the Chitlin circuit playing with everybody. So they took me was under there, their was wings. Was there a particular person or bass player that you saw that – that made you think like, holy crap, that's what oh, I want to do. I yeah, want that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's there's a few of them. Bootsy, I saw him Me when too. he was with James Me Brown, too. you know, and he was, I was like, wow. And him and Cat, Bootsy and Catfish, Jocko Pistorius, who I met actually what? right when uh, he was playing with, Her- with Herbie Hancock for a period of time. He was taking Paul Jackson's place and I had a chance to hang out with him and Funny enough, he had just he had just finished his uh, work uh, doing the Weather Report uh, heavy weather album. And he had it on a cassette tape. <laughs> Long story short, went to the gig, saw went backstage, locked eyes, saw him, introduced myself because I was familiar with his first record, chopping it up. It's about time for them to go on. Jocko, I'll go to my seat. He's like, no, man, stay here, right here. So I saw the whole gig right, like, you know, right in the side of the stage. Had my mother's opera glasses. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's like life-changing. Yeah, it was life-changing. After the gig, he's like, hey, man, I got, it just came from Criteria Studios. Would you like to hear, um, would you like to hear this, this, some of the weather report stuff that I did? I'm like, yeah. And as part of that conversation, there were two guys from the local radio station. He was 
basically, hey, guys, uh, you know, where's your radio station? And he said, it's, it's right next to us. So anyway, I heard the entire Heavy Weather album about three months, be, about three or four months before it came out. Blow my mind. Next day, I picked him up on my little Pinto and took him out to a place called Electrocomp Synthesis because he was interested in like, uh, some this synthesis, some synthesis that was taking place at that time. John McLaughlin had mentioned something to him. Took him out there, chopped it up, and that was my forty-eight. That was my twenty-four hours with Jocko. He gave me his number, never called him, and that was the first and only time wow. I saw him. So yeah, so there's that highlight of, and he was the first real like, wow, <laughs> bass player that I had met because I had never heard anything like that before so larry graham i'm you know saw him bootsy verdine white earth wind and fire you know um uh, uh senor marshall as i call him from the ohio players it was like a group of folks that i was really you know robert cool bell from cool in the gang you know yeah just checking out all these bands that i was so, digging so were anyway you, were you playing bass at that point i started playing bass around when i got into uh high school and i was okay. I, you know I, I had like a four string guitar that i took yeah, tell me tell me bass. about it tell me tell well, me about your first yeah bass. you know i started i used to you know take lessons from a f local friend a friend of my brother and sister a guy named eddie bailey and, and uh showed me a few chords and then um you know, I would borrow my some friends had basses, and I would borrow a friend of mine's his his uh, Fender Mustang bass. Let me borrow it. And anyway, those, Eddie was teaching me some of his songs, and you know, and I was like, okay, I could pick him up kind of quite quickly, and so I was listening to stuff all the time. When you're young, you pick things up kind of, you you kind of absorb it. Anyway, so started playing bass and guitar a little bit, and. Um, and that led to, um, you know, in high school, certain bands. But I was playing with some older guys. And um, Eddie Bailey had a band. And he was teaching me his repertoire, basically. And he was like, hey, man, you ready to do a, a gig? I'm like, oh, I was like 13 or 14. He said, I said, really? He said, yeah, man, my bass player is a pimp. So we have a matinee show. And he's probably not going to make it. So why don't you come and do that? I'm like, really? So I ended up rolling up, go to the clubs start rehearsing with the band because I already knew his songs. And then who shows up? The pimp. <laughs> he comes through the door. He's all pimped out and he's pissed off because I'm on bass. <laughs> so there was one, there was an experience where you have to actually, here you are on the set, somebody else's gig, and you've been asked by the leader. And now that was an, ex that was a key uh, uh, life-changing experience because the pimp looked like he wanted to take my head off and I still had to learn how to just manage the frequency and you know, you know at the end of the at the end of the he, I ended up not doing that gig the pimp played at the, <laughs> uh Eddie was I was packing up to go Eddie's like no sit and watch the watch the rehearsal and okay cool pimp's looking at me the whole time like when I get out of here I am going to run you over in my car don't worry about that <laughs> I got the front tire is going to have your face on it so anyway I'm like, how am I going to pull this off? So rehearsal's over. I'm like, let me just try to break the ice with this guy. I go up to him. You know, he's playing a cool in the game riff. And I said, let me just chop it up with him a little bit. I said, hey, man, how you doing? So he's looking at me grunting. Say, he's got his bass in his hand. And still playing. 
I'm like, hey man, you know, it sounds it sound really great. He said, would you mind showing, I said, would you mind showing me that little riff right there? He said, get the hell out of here, little boy. I'm not going to show you anything. So from that day right there, that's another lesson in life, y'all. You, you know, I said, you know what? Felt bad, but you know, I'll suck it up. You know, and I said, I'll never be like that guy. I'll show anybody anything I know. So it's like, as much as I'm playing bass, I'm learning the reality of life. Because the shape of the notes comes from your experience in life. And mm. and it's what you, and, and to, at least it does for me. So, you know, just kind of how did I start? I started with those experiences of dealing with how to keep moving forward not get caught in any certain vortex. Then in 1974 kicked in by having other uh, older folks that I was able to work with. I was, I felt, I felt um, protected and also uh, secure. Um, Understand. Yeah, I, I felt secure. I felt security is a good thing when you, when you're with people that, that love you. And they show that love. So, um, and these were dude. These, you know, the saxophone players, a prison guard, the drummers, fifteen years older than me, came out the navy. Uh, you know, these are men. You I know, that you. had been on the road and knew how to. You know, the saxophone player was classic. He can go to any city, and and we didn't have a place to stay. He was like, "Don't worry about. It. I'll sort everything out." So you <laughs> know, you learn those life experiences by being with people. And so that's how I started, you know. You feel, do you feel that um, there may have been one particular experience that opened your eyes to being able to take all of that in? Around, you know, when you, from, from that moment to maybe your first pro gig, is, was there like a, a, a day that you just all of a sudden felt like, you were making progress in your practice or your playing or, or, or growing as a musician and as a, as a, a man, as a human being. Was there any sort of enlightenment moment? What was that spark? Yeah. I, the, the, re, the spark was every time I met somebody new or, being, or that I was introduced to a, a person that was playing a different style of music or had uh, other exp experiences was a spark for me. I didn't stay in my comfort zone. Uh, I didn't continue to be comfortable with just a certain group of people. I was always trained with my, you know, folks that I was working with, with that were older were like, no, you have to navigate. And the more people that you learn to work with, that's going to be better, not for you, but for, for everybody. So I took myself out of a comfort zone consistently and put myself in situations that were not necessarily comfortable. And that's how I, I still do that to this day. And it became something that I, all embrace how I could meet a hippie metal band or a <laughs> gothic metal singer or a jazz blues musician, different styles, you know, different frequencies. But to me, it's just music. It's not, right. it doesn't have a category attached to it. It's how the industry kind of puts that in place. So, how, so that was 
that's how I managed to survive in this industry by not staying in one quadrant. Or people yeah. think they know you from like, well, you've been playing with this band or that band. Then they go, well, I didn't, they see my name on an album. I didn't know you work with this person or that person and it's in another world that they may not be affiliated with. And how did I pull that off? In Hartford, there were a trillion guitar players at that time. There were a lot, and a lot of them didn't get along with each other. So you had the jazz players, you had the rhythm guitar players, you had funk players, blues, rock, and I was just learning from all of them. I didn't get caught up in the being a musical police officer going, well, I'm not, I'm, I got to play with this person because uh, if I don't do that, then this person's going to get mad. I didn't play those games. And so the way an open mind about stay a open. lot of different things. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's it. So that that kept me um, engaged, Josh, to be able to continue to um, do things and be at all. But also you got to be rooted. You have to be you have to be honorable to the to the things that you take on. So I wasn't the kind of person that would just like, oh, man, so-and-so is calling me for a gig. I'm going to screw you. I wouldn't do that. Never. Uh, and that's another thing, you know, <laughs> is sometimes you got to take, you got, you take what you call as a, to somebody else, it might be, man, why did you do that? How come you didn't join this person? I'm like, no, man. It's like, you know, everything happens, in, you know, in real time. And, you know, if you start putting that frequency out, it's going to come and get you eventually so I guess so to me Josh that's what I did I just kind of kept a in in search of a groove but also also listening and finding other people that were that that I'm like yo I'm here to support you so I'm a bass player's biggest fan you know if there's any way I could help anybody I'm I'm gonna try to do it I don't have that frequency where I'm I'm in fear of this, that, or the other. I'm, I'm like, I'm digging at what everybody brings to the table because that's, that's what it, that's a, we're bass that's players, a, man. We got to yeah. get along with the drummer and the guitar player. And, you know, we're like Switzerland and, you know, you got to hold it down. trait to have, yeah. um, not only as a, as a musician, but um, I think as a human being. So uh, kudos to you on that one as well. Let's uh let's talk about gear. And uh like uh I mentioned to you before I saw you play and you looked like you were guiding the space shuttle going to Mars on a summer day in June and it was phenomenal. The sounds that you had coming out of your rig um were just blowing my mind. And I got to mention this I listened to um, Nothingness, a track you did mm -hmm. way, way back. I, I think I had the red cassette tape. Did you? It, okay. Yes, I did. I was a kid. I was in uh, probably junior high. But um, I would listen to that over and over. Is that a fretless that you used on there? That is indeed. Actually, it's... Where is it at? I have oh, it you actually somewhere. have it with you. Oh, wow. yeah, but it's upstairs right now. I That's can't really. Okay. Get it. But anyway, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a uh, 1987 black Kramer era NS2 fretless Spectre bass. Okay. Um, great instrument, and uh, the neck is I have the necks kind of like profiled like a jazz bass, so they're more shaved down and kind of makes it easier for me. Is it neck through? You said. 
neck through, and the neck is shaved. I had the neck kind of like the profile shaved down a little bit from a, an, an original Spectre profile. The original Spectre necks, I had them kind of put some love on. Was that just for a uh, preference thing, comfort thing? Yeah. You know, when I, I had the opportunity to get my, you know, my bases, you know, kind of, hey, Stuart, can you shave the neck down a little bit for me? <laughs> kind of like, and he was like, so, but awesome. so, yeah, so that's, yeah, that, that's a great bass. Man, that track, um, the way that you were throwing in your, your phrasing um, and the licks were popping through, um, I don't know if you used a, well, we'll get to it in a second on, on the types of effects you use, but it sounded like like a prehistoric bird from the heavens singing, but you, it was like the, the placement of your licks on that trick in, uh, track in particular, just insane. And I, I would, I tried to learn that damn thing every single day. <laughs> well, when we get together, I'll show it, show it to you. And it's interesting how that oh track came to, to be. It's like, we're in rehearsal, and right at the end of our of our pre-production rehearsal, before we went into the studio, that bass line appeared. Will Calhoun wrote the song; he had it a certain way, and I just we you know while we were all playing and playing with Will, and just being able to get a listening to the song and listening to the spacing of of how Will was playing. I started flipping around some different, you know, ideas to go across the, uh, to 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 kind of to kind of bring this movement that's consistent uh, across. It wasn't the song. overboard either. I think it was it was just right. Yeah, you know, the right amount of slides, some false harmonics right before the verses. You know, it's just the, it's setting it up, but it's also. I'm listening to the song. I'm listening to the lyrics. I'm finding the space. Vernon's playing a guitar synth. So he's so the notes are constantly there's no space for what Vernon's doing. So what did I do? I created space with the bass line, but also kind of came up with a way to have it so that Corey's flow can be can be can have something stable to to wiggle around and that's kind of you know and will's playing a funky drum beat um, is that your approach um typically it is it okay. is i listen to um to everybody like if 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 uh will's wrote the song will what do you hear i like to be able to reenact what somebody is hearing from their demo or whatever. Okay, give them that. They're comfortable. All right. Now, let's see what everybody else is doing. And it becomes, a, a for me, a game of space. No more, no less. I'm trying to find the space, to create the space so that there is, you can put your hand in between the groove and there's some sort of definition that is created from the low end, Right. And that song, is, it's very kind of, it's a very dreamy track. Uh, it, it, and, and so and it's, it's a serious, it's a song about a son writing a letter to his father. So I'm trying to just reenact that moment by... You're telling a story musically. On I'm that, telling right? the story. So I'm not going in like, hey, oh, look, no, 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 I listen. First thing I do is I'll listen, play the song. What do you got? No instrument in hand. What's it about? 
Corey, what are you thinking? Maybe it starts for me by helping to see what Corey's doing and maybe go, yo, Corey, man, that's dope. And maybe humming something to him. So we're kicking it. Everybody's kicking stuff off. Corey, what are you feeling for a baseline? Well, I might feel this. Vernon, what are you feeling? So I go around to everybody to get everybody engaged so that we're all on this, so you can get to that frequency. And that's always very important to me, just kind of like if you can pull the frequency together, then everybody's on the same wavelength. So I try to create that atmosphere. So, so Because, you know, songs are a trip, man. Somebody brings a song in and somebody else might be like, oh, I'm not feeling this. I'm like, no, let's all feel it. Let's all get into the vibe. And that just comes from it's my hip-hop experiences, from playing ah. in the, in, uh, even before that with Sylvia Robinson, where you have to make things happen very quickly. So... It's the art of communic of communicating with each other and park the ego and try to find a way how to get everybody in a comfort zone by giving them some dap. Vernon, that's dope what you're doing right there. I love that. <laughs> Do that again. Yo, Corey, man, I'm loving what you're doing there. Support. Will, hi-hat is rocking. I like how you're swaggering that puppy. Matter of fact, let me hear what you're doing with the kick. Let me have a conversation with the kick for a minute. So it all, so after, so now it becomes, it's fun because you're not sitting there vibing because you're doing somebody else's groove and they, you know what I mean? Bands are a trip. They're like dysfunctional families and they can be. So you got to <laughs> find a way how sure. to, how to, sure, to kind of like put, some, how to kind of like really look, man, put some dap on. You're you making know, some great, 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 great points that, uh, I think especially um, younger musicians and younger people starting bands or jumping into bands or are trying to get into um, any sort of musical situation. You know, it's all about listening and um, this art of, of collaboration and communication is, I mean, it's a, it's a, a Life hack, really. <laughs> you know, lack of better it, words. Josh, I love the, like, I listen to your band. I listen to the things that you've done. You know, Daryl Anders. Daryl's got his groove, man. I'm all, I'm like, I'm, when I hear what Daryl's doing, I'm like, when I call him up on the phone, I'm like, I'm, okay, we can talk about gear, but I'm like, yo, what's up with the band? What's happening <laughs> over in the UK? You need some help? You gotta, you have to, you, and you do it from the heart. It's not hollow Genuine, conversations. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Because Absolutely. if you can give the love up naturally, then you don't, you know, you're not, that, look, man, it's like, I'm, fort I'm very fortunate to have had family, friends, love in life to use as a great template to be a bassist and an artist Amen and a performer, right? And I leave it like that, brother. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Okay. Now, Let's talk about your go-tos for gear. Okay. I know I know you got tons of it. Like I said before, you got the the whole spaceship in front of you. But let's what are your go-tos? You grab, you go uh go to a rehearsal spot or you go to a session. What do you what are you taking along? Well, I got 10 go-tos and they're right here. It starts with my 10 fingers at first. <laughs> and then it starts with what's up here in between my two ears. Okay. And it's like, and that's where it all starts. To over the years, because I've been in, you know, I've been in situations where I like sound, right? 
And as a bassist, it's always been for some folks, it's like taboo to like, yo, man, you can't put no wah-wah pedal on that. That's, that's a guitar. You're crossing the line in the sand that's been drawn ages ago. Wrong. <laughs> put a compressor on your bass. Maybe an envelope filter. A flanger. Or whatever. So anyway, but see, the reality of it is music has changed over the years and doing... And being in the world of uh, as a bassist when synth came out and trying to be and trying to survive in this industry as a as a studio bassist, I had to figure out a way how to well it was easy for but I had to just had to c continue to explore sounds so that I could be be called to do a record that an Oberheim <clears throat> synthesizer or a Moog or other um, electronical, uh, you know, keyboards were taken over. So what did I do? I just found a way to find different devices to help me, um, push the sound and give me, and give me a, you know, find your own voice and Hey man, don't, you know, I love the, I'll play with the bass synth and I'll, I'll play straight or I'll, I'll bring in some sounds that can kind of like give you that kind of love as well. And that's kind of where it, where it came from. I always, You're not afraid to experiment. No, no. You have to find a way how to keep the producer and the writer right. But if you listen to great records that, are, that are, you know, that you could hear where it's like Bootsy, when he came out, he's playing with the envelope filter. He's got distortion. It's like, it's like what is that? <laughs> why does that sound so good okay before that now before what was bootsy doing on the stage with james brown tight right behind the drummer you know keeping that groove jazz bass rocking it why does that sound so good so when he was able to do his thing he was like he was probably listening to um larry graham who was thumping and playing fuzz out of his bass with dance to the music in the 60s so why did i like that it's the shape of the note and it's the low end. I also like James Jamerson. Why did I like that one finger playing vibe? Because it's the shape of the note. So everything in my, and it's the effect that you use to get that shape. So as much as it is the instrument, the, the devices, it's also in the hands, you know, of what's going on. So we started to come up with effects by slapping and popping and all these other things. But mm -hmm. so I found a way to survive in the industry that was taking gigs away from a bass player 70s 80s and stuff like that and over time i would develop a way to kind of bring in certain devices one of the first instruments that i, I pedals i got was gifted to me by by um the late big bank hank from the sugar hill gang he got he bought me a electro harmonics bass synthesizer which uh, i was like in heaven you know yeah and i had an echoplex younger and a mutron but so anyway, over time, Josh, what I did was just start to collect sounds. So when I could go into these different settings, I could be comfortable enough to create something where the producer go, yo, I don't like that, but I like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so if you have a couple of things that I don't like that one, I like the red one. What does that do? You know? And so a few things took place. I always started using pedals, but when I would go in the studio, again, it's the 10 fingers, the mind, listening and finding the right, the shape of the note. But um, you start working with some folks that, are, that give you that freedom. Joe Satriani gifted me my first whammy pedal when it was a prototype. I got that, that whammy pedal. I'm in the studio with Andy Lennox. We're, we're, we're going over Precious, which is a song. I just plug it in and start banging around with it. She goes, what's that? 
And okay, what's that in a surprised? I'm intrigued. Or uh, she loved it. She loved okay. the sound of it, and she was like, "I want that on the record." Meanwhile, the producer might have been a little bit, no, I don't know. But then, you know, but you follow the pack. You know, once she yes, was enlightened, yes. everybody else changed gears. So, and that's how it things happen. So over the years, it developed how I had to do a gig sometimes with just a drummer and myself and a singer. And it happened by default sometimes. Guitar player wouldn't show up. I used to have a, a Tom, a Walkman, I mean, a, a Rockman. You know, one of those little uh, made by the guitar player in Boston. Uh, yeah. So I had one of those, you know, you, you know, you clip it on. It's got distortion and reverb. So I did it. I would do gigs. Like little mini amplifier. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, okay. but I would do gigs where where um, it would be like Adrian Sherwood at the desk, and then Keith LeBlanc's playing playing drums. The guitar player wouldn't make it, so Adrian would 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 find a way to take the kick drum and gate it and then put different tones on it. Then he, and then he would just be like, yo, Doug, just play guitar and just go crazy. So I'm like, all right. So I started to work with, have to work with and exploring in distortion and being able to reenact the different sounds of a guitar player or a keyboard player, you know, mimicking and my, you know, so over the years, it's like this band likes the, these kind of sounds. This artist likes those kind of sounds. That artist doesn't want, wants me to come in with my 1972 Fender Jazz bass and a cable, and they're happy. This artist likes all the crazy stuff because I'm doing dubstep, drum and bass, jungle music, and they just want to sample stuff and have me playing with a glass, doing slides, dive bombs, and all these other things. So, and they're going to sample that and make and, and piece that together and create. You know, montages of sound. So every artist, every producer, different studios, over time you assemble these um, different personnel you're working with and you go, okay, I wonder what they're going to like, you know, what they're going to request. And that's, and so it, sometimes I would show up after working with an artist that, I, you know, used a few pedals on and then I, and I would come without a pedal and they would be like, where's your pedals at? What's going on? <laughs> And then we other folks that. are like, yeah, want that yeah. and other Give folks are like, dub. don't bring, I was working with Mick one time, he's like, just bring two pedals, you know, this is enough, you know, uh, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, and, and again, Mick gave me a lot of freedom. He's like, what's that funny sound, you know? I did this song, <laughs> might, as well, might as well get juiced with, um, with Mick on, well, on the Stones record. And he was like, yo, man, Dougie, bring that wah, 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 pedal. I'm like, all right, make You know, so you never, you know, Josh, you never know. So over the years, I just kind of like have a nice collection of different pedals. And I got to think, you know, look, one of the, my favorite pedals really is a wah-wah pedal because it yes. gives me a sense. It, it It's just got that right frequency. It just, it doesn't interfere. Is there a particular one that you love? The most? Yeah. Uh, Dunlop 535Q. That's my go-to. Because I can dial up different sounds from it. And, you know, it can kind of get really crazy and also nice and organic. And that's my go-to pedal. If I'm really doing something, it's like... You know, that's my that's one of the that's one of the ones that I like to use because it can if I'm recording, it can it gives me another range, another frequency and, a, and vowel sounds so I can lay a bass and I can stereo it out with some with with a with a wah wah pedal and just find you could just really find that right tone for different styles of music. You know, that's it. I also like um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go too crazy, but I like whatever, <laughs> whatever, um, you know, I can actually, I can actually, you know, control some pedals you can't control. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I understand what you're yeah. talking about. You just can't control them. They sound good, but they're like, you know, you get to it, they're great in your bedroom, you go to the gig and it's like, what on earth is going on here? So I like somewhat one dimensional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, I like even tied H nines because they, you know, they bring me back to when I was in the studio with Chris Lowe at Algae and we'd be experimenting, making records and with the rack mounted 3000 and stuff. So those are great pedals. And, um, you know, just a, I have a variety of pedals that I'm working with, you know, but at the end of the day, there's a responsibility for all of those to be able to function and work when you need nice. them to. And you can and also not to get pigeonholed or be dependent on the pedal. So when people ask me, you know, what 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 effect what effect do you like? I said, I'm the effect. You know what I mean? I don't yes, really sir. get caught in the illusion. I need to have this, that, or the other. And I've watched bass players, and they're like, why you got all those pedals? And so, or, or guitar, and all that stuff. And I'm like, yo, man, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to survive. I'm surviving Sometimes out here. Sometimes you just say, why ask why? Well, you know, that's, you know, you know after, after X amount of years of making records with many different artists across the span of many different so-called styles it's all music to me then it's my you know this is these these are the things i do whether it's for movie soundtrack or or for whatever people like sound you know this is this is a different day and age right now and can you go from zero can you go from a organic do, are you aware of the different shapes of notes and the different frequencies that you can get? And now kids are like, you know, <laughs> they got their laptop, yep. they're dialing things up, and they're like, they, you know, they're like um, doing stuff themselves. But then you play something, and you understand the frequency, how to how to how to record it, how to get things to leap out of the speakers. That's an art form, and that's yes, you know what I mean. So yes, uh, you know, sir. pedals can help you. Pedals can give you that plus that 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 extra little thruster but also gives you uh, a sense of um you know a, a, you know just you, you can move in different quadrants with it. a simple a simple like you know bass driver is a great pedal to to, to to wiggle around with you know a good flanger is a good pedal to wiggle around with but again it starts with 10 fingers and your brain to know when to turn them on and when to turn them off. And it's funny because you'll see a lot of players that I, I see and, they, and they'll have, I can look at their setup and go, that's, that's going to sound bananas because it's not sequenced right or they don't have the right cables or the right power or, this, or it's going into a friggin' uh, Christmas tree can, uh, can electrical cable. a little bit more for maybe some, some people that aren't familiar with the best way um, for a signal chain to start off with, at least for like three pedals? Well, maybe. yeah, you know, first it's got to come from your bass. It's like, what do you, what's coming out of it? Because pe pedals are going to respond based on your bass. Is it an active bass? Is it an active bass with like a good, like, you know, good preamp? Or is, it a is it a two jazz pickups? Is it a PJ configuration? Are they soap bars? You know, that's where it really starts. Are you using round wound strings? Are you using flat wounds? All of that's going to make the, a pedal respond. Um, what is my test pedal? An envelope filter. I have an old FX25, 
DOD envelope filter. Why am I mentioning that? Because an envelope filter will let you know exactly how much your base is putting out, of spitting out. If you could dial it up and find out where that sensitive point is, and the, or, or it'll distort on you. So yes. there's an art to understand how to use certain pedals as a, as a, as a reference guideline. So it starts with the bass, making sure the battery's good, and then the cable that you have coming out. Try, you need to have a good cable so that it, can, it can actually translate the frequencies that a bass is putting out, whether you're slapping, fingering, thumping, playing with your teeth, whatever. You gotta have something that's gonna be, it's gotta, it's gotta be aligned right. So you need a good preamp in your bass, or if it's a passive bass, then you need to know how to maybe to activate certain other pedals. Maybe I, I would go into a bass driver first to be able to boost it up a little bit to give me the signal that can push the envelope filter next. It's the signal chain. So if I was using three pedals, it would be a bass driver. Say, you know, as, as a start. Secondly, sorry, my phone's ringing. Oh, uh, that's okay. Okay. You need to get and that? then, no, I don't need to get it. It's All a spam right. call. It's spam, it's spam likely anyway. Uh, um, so I would use a, I would use a um, bass driver, which would generally always be on. And then maybe another pedal that I would use would, would be, uh, let's just say, like a envelope filter and then for, for, for you know, like a, 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 a um, save, to really top it off, uh, uh, H9, something like that. That gives that gives me a variety of things. Now, what would I do to make sure that they all work? A, having good cables to go from pedal to pedal. So I'm using like Astorope cables, which are really good. They're super high end. Then there's a company out of Argentina, KWC, which makes great flat cables. Um, you know, pancakes. So you can actually, you know, they're made out of they're made out of like. Um, Really good, really good iron core cables in a sense. Everybody has their vibe. Good cables, search for those. But the key is the power. What is powering your pedal? You know, some folks will go with, okay, well, I have, a, a, you know, iSpot or whatever. Or maybe they'll, might, they'll change certain cables together. You have to know if your cable, if your pedal is 500 milliamps, 80 milliamps, Maybe it's 100, maybe it's 1.2 milliamps, you know, so, and that's the key of like understanding what your, how to power your pedals up and the connectors that go from your pedal to your power source. If you get all of that right, then everything's going to be, it's going to sound clean. It's not going to buzz. Because if you go in the studio, you're going to get served. The studio is like going to the dentist's office. You can go in there and think you <laughs> got no it together. Hiding. There is no hiding. And there's no hiding. And it's like, it is buzz city. Especially on a passive bass. Because in New York City, I used to have to, if I was recording in Midtown, we used to take an alligator clip from my bridge and then put that to the board and face away from the Empire State Building so that you wouldn't, wow. so, you know, because if you face towards the Empire State Building, you'd have to <laughs> face away. I'm going, yo, kiddies, I'm going way back now to days of analog. You know, there was no kissing and cuddling. So you had to figure out those, those things by experience, but good bass, 
round wound strings seem to give you more give you a sense of brilliant more clarity for translating with certain pedals to which, me which strings do you use? i use roto sounds 40 through okay. 100 gauge been using okay. them for years they'll chew your you frets up but they're good over flat round wounds. wounds i like both i use flat wounds as well i use you know diodarios i use the the james jamerson strings i use all i use all the strings because they all, all give you a certain character but um, to, but that's the key. It's the little things that we take for granted. And with bass players, it's easy to see something and just go, well, I, I spent this much on the pedal. Give me those three cables for, <laughs> that are colorful for 20 bucks. And I'm like, there, there, you're, you're already right there. You've, you blew it. That's so be, be, you know, in, invest wisely. But it's but you have to, it's like drinking and driving. When you have pedals for the ba- for as a bass player, don't drive drunk. Don't play. Don't play with drunk cables, and, and don't don't play with gear that's that's going to make you sound drunk. You know, yeah, <laughs> you got to be, re- be responsible. Do not play with drunk cables. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying, Josh. I mean, because yeah, you'll be at a gig, and next thing you know, it's like, where's the bass player? What happened? Sound goes out. You know, uh, a cable's gone down. You hit the you hit a pedal, and it pops the whole system, or just it's not in context with. The music you got to study pedals as much as you study a Chinese twelve tone scale starting from the second degree. You got to put time into it. It doesn't come easy. And if you find something like Pino has a great sound, what he does with the with the fretless and with an octave, you have to know how to harness those sounds, and that becomes a part of your sonic vocabulary. I man, that's insane. It, the amount of depth that goes into that and i think um maybe a lot of people or most people don't realize actually how much how much information um you have to attain to get that those sounds and uh, but i think that if you actually put in the effort and experimentation you're going to get there you're going to find a voice and uh, be able to get those different sounds that you're hearing in your head or that, you, you know, your favorite player um, has used. Do, would you agree with that? I would totally agree with you. And then there's the reality of how we are, re- how we are making records now. You know, everybody, a lot of people do stuff at home. You know, you have not, so now you have to be an engineer, a producer, a writer, you have a lot of you have to wear a lot of hats, but um, there's only so much you can learn online, and there's more that you can learn when you actually are around people that can give you some really good, you know, ex- life-changing experiences by being with people that really know how to record, or being on a stage where people understand. No, this is how we're going to get your live sound right. DI box, make sure it's grounded. How long are your cables? How long is your cable? How how stable is your cable? You know, and you know, if I, so for example, everybody out there, if I'm recording now with my bass, um, I use the shortest possible cable going from my bass to whatever my device is, for, for starters. Just simply because at the length of your cables are always going to create, you know, just it's just common sense. It's going it's to be a little bit more of a delay. So I find good cables, and I use a very short cable to go into my DI or in my first pedal. And all of my, every one of my cables, I check like a, like a, 
like a a, a NASCAR dr- uh, uh, driver. I'm checking everything all the time. The power. I'm making sure that nothing's. The, and if I have a if I have a, a power supply that is not close to another power supply, because I understand how things can buzz. But if you just follow some basic fundamentals and, and study up on it, then you'll be you'll be good to go in the studio when you're recording your good fat sounds. And then when you go to play live, you'll understand how what you've done in the studio. How do you translate that live and how do you get that going on? So and that's the reward, you know, is when you can actually pulling off pulling stuff off in the studio is not not that. I mean, it's you know, it's it, it's you can sit in 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 and and um Oh, I made a mistake. Let me stop and do it again. You could, you can't do that live. So when you're live, it's like, oh, it's it's just live. You know what I mean? When you start messing up way. and, you, and yes. you start, you feel that sweat that comes on all of a sudden because you might have missed a note or or you hit a pedal and it's not working. Hey, <laughs> that's not a good. And people are look all of a sudden the whole stage, the band is looking at you and the monitor guy and the crowd. It's not a good feeling. You know what I mean? <laughs> so be, down you got to be able to knock it out live, knock it out in the studio and also find and and, and be responsible. Find your voice, man. You know, and, and, and at the same time, pedals aren't for everybody. Some, you know, there's a lot of, yo, I'm, you know, there's a lot of folks that are like, I'm keeping it 100 and I'm with you a, you know, a thousand percent. So I'm, you know, my go-to pedals are, are you know, again to sum it up, Sans amp and maybe you know, uh, you know, or whatever, and uh, you know, basically a, a bass driver of some kind. That's the only thing that's ever on in my chain. Everything else pops on and off. That's it. Okay. It's the only thing so, that's always so on. For, Keep it real. Uh, as kind of an overdrive or a preamp <laughs> type of a. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I have a few. Bo- I have a few. Um, Boss and Dunlop and Dark Glass and a host of, of things, but everything is um everything has a special vibe, man. I'm loving this Dunlop, this kind of this this is bass subharmonic pedal. I forgot the name of I it. I have the the uh, subharmonic fuzz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name? I got a yellow one. Yeah, that one. Yes, and then yeah, the sub octave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use that all over the place, especially live. It's the but signal uh, chain too, pipe. man. You know, Josh, as you know, it's like how to chain everything together, right? So they all speak to each other. But that pedal yes, is sir. dope. All right, is there a riff that you would suggest for our listeners to vibe on? Maybe it'll help them a little bit uh, as bassists. Just a, a a riff or a saw groove. Any, any kind of line or like something that that you would say, man. If you're gonna play anything, play this. Well, here, okay. Here's here's what I what I, here's one of my go to things. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like the song. If you really want to kind of like get a good workout, just play play Teen Town by Jocko. Yes. All right, because uh, you know it's a good song to kind of keep your keep you in check. And also your spacing and 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 the articulation and you know you gotta you gotta you know focus and at any time you know in your in your in your lovely long career it's always good to be able to go to something that has 
uh, challenges. And I think that's a very good song that also has good challenges, but also gives you, it's everything is spelled out in a sense for, for all the positions. So I'll, so I'll say that for, for one song. And then on other songs are like, um, I would say it's more than that, more than just one song. Okay. Um, I would listen to, like, look, just for groove vibe, any James Brown song, any yeah, just for like the groove to be able to you know understand repetition, and harness and lock and load that groove. So you know, so the and, and it's and it's and it's helpful when you can have discipline from locking the groove and also the education and the knowledge that you get from playing a song like Teen Town, you know, because it give it's so, you have to, have, it, it help you, um, it sharpen you up on your dexterity and also others. It's my, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I played Teen Town for a while, then I stopped playing it. Then I went back to it and I'm like, Jesus, I'm not playing this even halfway near what's going on i even i go on youtube how's that guy doing it you know what i mean so don't be afraid to to dial something up and be honest with yourself in light of what you what you what you think you can do but you're not pulling it off like you used to so don't be afraid to say to to go online and, and look and see what what some great players are doing but uh, discipline is the key. You get to express yourself, but you got to be disciplined. You got to go through those things to get to that point of freedom. In my opinion, it takes you know you got to be disciplined. So I agree, man. That's how you grow. Yeah. Um, let's let's uh, kind of shift a little bit. How these are interesting times, obviously, with the last year. Um, how are you surviving the pandemic? <clears throat> um well it's been challenging you know for for uh, for everybody and even for a lot of people you know for you know look man we never had anything like this happen in our lifetime no matter how you think or whatever you believe in it's look stuff shut down people aren't performing we're on the t- we're the ones that are probably going to go online last some states are open some states aren't there's a lot of politics involved a lot of conspiracy theorists. You can go. I can go on and on. But anyway, how am I surviving? Actually, Josh, it's been um, for me. I, you know, be I guess being older, I'm not freaking out or anything like that. It's the longest I've been home since I was 17 years old. Me too. So I just kind of like chimed in and said, "Okay, my missus, let's you know hunker down and um, and just adapt to this to this position." Fortunately, I've because of um, I, I'm a studio musician, and I've been, you know, been being engaged in making records since I was 17. Then you know, a lot of people are still, you know, finding a way to send tracks to me to record or produce. So you have it's, a home studio. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's been, you know. It's been cool. I've been able to chill at home and make records for other people and and myself. And also, I spent this time to clean up, you know, go through, 
years of things that I should have done before, whether it's, you know, okay, it's a lot of songs I'm songwriters on. Let me check the publishing. Let me make sure things are going, you know, how are things shifting over from this company to that company? Let me get aligned with my lawyer to make sure we all know the new rules and the new laws of what's taking place because everything is kind of like... Been, been condensed down to like, you know, Universal or Sony or this. So I've been on the bit on just like, let's let me prepare and get things cleaned up. And well, it's got a chance to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. To actually do it. And all those things that, you know, you put off. Let's get it done. And my missus is great because she gets it done. I mean, just yesterday. Mine does too. Yeah, we just Luckily, yesterday we just, we just cleaned out the whole basement, and got everything sorted out. So, you find look, find oh, we found a way to stay engaged, stay positive. It's been challenging, you know. Of course, it's not easy, you know, when you're, you know, but I'm thankful that I was able to have got a great partner and have enough friends and uh, people across the world that. I can help out. So it's not about money. It's like, you need some help. I got you. And maybe somebody great, makes man. a donation. Fair enough. But I'm not looking at the reality of like, uh, of, of um, you know, everything has changed now. It's like, if I can help somebody out, cool. And the bless, if the blessings come, it, uh, the blessings are already there because I'm glad to, to be able to be a, of a, to help somebody. And, they'll, and we help each other. So... Yeah, Our neighbors, man. We are all in the same boat at some point. <laughs> yeah, living in this world with just one hope, you know. <laughs> and it's kind of like, but you know, uh, yeah. Have you been staying creative? Have you been able to stay creative? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's been you look. I've been coming out. Yeah, I've been working, man. I, you know, um, my good friends Adrian Sherwood, Keith, Skip McDonald, Bernard Fowler were doing another Tackhead record right now. And I've also been, you know, I did recordings for Lee Scratch Perry with a song Macumba Rock that, that Brian Eno's on, another Jama reggae artist, Horace Andy, some of the some of the real, real, real um leaders in, in the reggae movement. And then also Mark Stewart, good friend of ours from the group called the Pop Group back in the UK doing some work with him. Um, you know, with Tackhead has a reunion. Well, actually, we're going to be doing a big a big event uh, for celebrating over 40 years of On You Sound next year at the Forum in, in Kentish wow. Town in, in April next year. Um, <clears throat> Cold Cut, a couple of brothers out of the UK I've been working with. I did a song for them with Tony Allen, the late, great Tony Allen, Fela's Horn section called Freedom Groove. That'll be coming out pretty soon. Also, another group, African Head Charge. You know, some of my On You Sound crew. Another new group I'm working with, Lost Horizon. Haven't even met the guys, but actually I like the song that they sent me. And that's cool. Alberto uh, Riggioni, you know, bassist from Italy. We did this. He's done a, another recording call for the love of bass with a bunch of of my of great other bassists are on it. Adam Nitti, Cody Wright, David Pastoris, you know, um, Leland Sklar, Nathan East, Tony, uh, Tony Franklin, a bunch of bassists, and I forgot anybody. I'm sorry. So that was great. Also working with um, a singer, a, a artist uh, named Schiller, out of uh, Germany, and uh, he's he's killer. You know, I've been working with him for a few years, and we did a live um, recording video 
filming a couple of years ago and it just came out. It's called Summer in Berlin. Hit the German charts number one. I'm really happy about that. So that, that just dropped. Also working with my good friend Freak Bass. He's, oh, uh, you know, we did a thing called Brainwave a couple of months ago. That was dope. And I've been busy, man. Another, another one of my. Say one of, yes, you have been. Yeah, oh man, it's been crazy. It's been. I've been working with my other nephews, a uh, glow stick Willie. Check them out. They're a hippie metal band. They're dope, and they're glow they're kind of like yeah, glow stick okay. Willie. Check them. They're like one of the top rock bands on Twitch, and they and these kids done. E they did everything themselves. They did not wait on the industry to shape what they had to do so check them out y'all they're, they're called glow stick willie chris loadout you did the mix and i'm playing on all the tracks i'm kind of like you know uncle dougie in the mix there so they have their own festival willie town check them out um yeah man these boys are they're doing it also my good friend taria who was a, who was a singer in in the band uh uh nightwish we've been working together since 2007 She's like a you know gothic metal uh, you know classical trained soprano three octave singer. So she'll be doing we'll be doing a metal gig and then she'll be singing one to three sopranos then you know later on. So I love working with her. Symphonic metal, gothic metal, however you want to call it, it's dope. Love working with her. Be out be out doing some stuff with her this summer. Getting that happening and um, living color. We're striking up. We're gonna do we're doing some recording. Start, uh, coming up, which is great. We've done a couple of shows. We had Rock and Rio booked this in, in September with Stevie Vai was going to be joining us to actually be a part of. So it'll be Living Color with featuring Stevie Vai, all of us playing together for the whole, pretty much the whole set. That's going to be moving out of 2022 in Brazil. But it's going to happen. Yeah, it, it, yeah, as long as we're still alive and stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> it'll happen. Then also another group that I'm working with, uh, with Daru Jones, the drummer, and Marcus oh, Machado. Oh. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. Yeah, D. Yeah, and man. I, I saw some videos of you guys playing together. And yeah. That is tight. Yeah, he, man. He is, he is a killer, killer, dude. killer dude, killer drummer. Uh, um, yeah. So DMD, the vibes, we have that. And that's just one of those things. That's how music happens, man. It just happened naturally. We got together. We started kicking it. So that's that. Then I'm working my other nephews, Brandon Taz, Nita Howard, a young, young guitarist. And Raghav Marotra, a young, a young drummer. Both of these kids were on the uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's School of Rock on Broadway. And they're just ripping, man. But Brandon, you know, check him out. He's like a, he's an up and coming. Well, now he's seasoned. A great guitar player, great human being. And I'm glad to be working with, with them. I have a group called the Wimbash All-Stars that kind of features different folks that I've worked with over the years. Josh, you, you could be down with it as well. It's an open door. I am one million percent <laughs> down with it. Let's go. Yeah, you know, and it's just like it's a way to kind of keep an you know, open door to be able to work with a lot of my friends. So Daru, Marcus, Bernard Fowler, Stevie Silas, all the folks that I've worked with over the years. I've done 65 Wimbashes across the globe. So I've just found a way with my wife uh, to to kind of find this platform to be able to do some shows, help out the community. And, and, you know, so I've been, I've been, you know, been, been busy, been busy. It's been, I mean, it's been a, it's been a good year, a couple, you know, good period of time. And I'm just thankful that um, I'm able to, oh, and the other thing is I'm working with this, this artist, her name is Catherine Bostic. She's a, she's a composer and she, you know she's done some award win, uh, uh, award winning films. She's she did the movie um, 
She did a documentary on Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am, which premiered at Sundance 2019. So I'm doing some some um some 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 vibes with her. Great piano player, great vocalist. She has a new record coming out. But she's she's on the she's on the rise, y'all. Check her out, Catherine B- Bostic. It's great to see great female, um, you know, pr- uh, producers and movie scorers rising to the occasion. So I'm really happy for her, and I'm I'm so excited to hear. The, the stuff that she'll be doing. Also, another reggae band out of, out of L.A. called Dread Days. Just finished it, producing a couple of songs for them. Jungle Funk, we got some new stuff coming up. I'm also working with Tracy Morgan, the comedian. Oh, really? Yeah, man, he can sing. He's a good singer, man. So I, it's like... Are you writing as well? No, I'm just playing bass. My friend okay. Bernard Hawkins is the producer. So, I, you know, I get the tracks and uh, and uh, I, I love working with him. So I'm also, sure you don't sleep, man. Huh? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you don't well, sleep. Well, it's you know, I'm in a good space here. You know, I'm thankful for people to you know, to send me music and look, again, I'm like, you know, just if you need some help, I'll help I'll help folks out. I'm not one of these cats that's like, "Oh, no, nah, man, you got to call my my manager and I got to get blah blah." Look, help great people. Heart, man. You got to help heart, people. Man. All that that's the currency comes from a smile. Ah, you could you pay me with like a that. smile, all right? And if you want to make a donation, uh, it's okay, but if you don't, don't worry, because I, you know, I want to see people to get to the to a point where they're happy in life. So that's how I look at it. That's amazing. I love that outlook. Um, and you know, relationships are so important in in this business. Well, in life, I mean, um, was there a relationship that was uh, instrumental, sort of, in your development as a pro musician? relationship is personal relationships yeah like you know was there somebody in particular that that just kind of like took you under their wing or somebody that you looked up to that helped you out well my good you know my friend skip mcdonald was the person that kind of took me under his wings and that's a guitar player that i still work work with to this day he was he was in a band he's from dayton ohio was in a band called the ohio hustlers i met him here in connecticut at Jackie McLean's Artist Collective, and he took me under his wings. And from that, and, and so then we formed a band called Wood, Brass, and Steel, and, and that went from 1974 to 79, and then we all joined forces to play on all the Sugar Hill Records stuff, and then we all went to London, all being Keith LeBlanc is with us at that time. So to this day, I'm still working with Skip. He has a group called Little Axe. Check it out. It's like a blues, dub blues project. So Skip was my key mentor. Okay. Beautiful person, great spirit. And uh, without Skip's guidance, calm, uh, poise, and just being a very intelligent human being, um, I would have it, you know. I I might I might be missing a few vowels from from what's going on because when you're young, it's there's a lot of ways you can you can go. So it's like family, you know. Skip is my brother, and he's my and he's a person that I'm thankful to have met in this in this planet, and I hope we can continue throughout the the end of time. That's fantastic. You guys are still close. 
Isn't that the key? You meet people, it's like these bands, it's it's a trip. You get into a band, it's it's more deeper than your family. You spend more time with more, a yes. band than your family. Then when something happens, you you know, you, you know, it's all the personnel. Some people take it harder than others. Look, you have a you can have a band, and if the band breaks up, somebody in that band may not play anymore. They might just pack it in. You know, it's tr it's it's life changing. So it's good to be around good people that support each other, even during those transitions. Even if somebody decides not to play, you're not blanking them. You're still giving them love. You know what I mean? Or what's you know? So being around good, positive people is good. Is cool. Even if you're around folks that aren't positive, it's you understand you have enough positive energy to keep glowing. You know? So yeah. There good go. vibes, man. Good vibes. Oh, all right. So before we wrap things up, um, drummers, you've played with some of the best. The relationship, speaking of relationships between the bass and drums, uh, is probably the most important one in, in a band situation or a musical situation. So what do you look for in a drummer? Well, I look for stability, drive space a drummer that listens a drummer that we can both commute that we that that understands the pocket and understands how to if you have to get in the front burner and burn they can burn or maybe they don't that's not their thing they understand how to work with what they're what they have every drummer is different you know drummers are unique individuals because they have the capability of creating whatever kit they want to have unlike us bass players we're like here's a bass here's a frets that's it a drummer can come up with different ways and means to express their their freedom double bass drum pedal uh, uh double bass drum couple of you know so it be every drummer is, has a different frequency and to me what i like is a drummer that understands how the pocket and understands song and how to record and also how to keep the drums from ringing and when you get to the gig they're prepared when you go to a session it's they understand how to change the right snare drum or how to change the the tuning for each particular song they're not like this is my sound and you're gonna have that's it kind of vibe because it doesn't you know it it doesn't work so i look for drummer drummers that understand all of the above because if you when you get to a certain point you're actually it's important to understand how you fit into a drummer's scene and sound and what can i do to, as a player to help make any drummer sound better in a sense by sacrificing a note here to make sure uh, that the pocket is more in place or the or so the can, can you explain pocket well pocket pocket is 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 the shape is the space between the notes and understanding the pressure of what you're putting down to accent and to keep things stable so you so a pocket is just solid holding it down not changing up too much but you can if you if you give everybody the security of the pocket once you see once a drummer secures the pocket then he stabilizes everybody now the drummer can start toy around with doing what he wants to do because he's giving you the confidence that that pocket is there 
and he, he and he can toy with you. For example, when I play with Dennis Chambers, Dennis Chambers is a perfect person that knows how to give you that pocket and toy around with you and start flipping stuff up. Next thing you know, you start hearing that quadruple bass drum going down and so on and so forth. And that's know, when you look back and say, what in the yo, hell man, is going it's, on? It's inspiring, though, because you start having <laughs> yeah. that, comp, but the song isn't suffering. Then on the other side of the scope, a drummer like, like, Dennis Ch- uh, like um, Simon Phillips. Simon has a whole different, has another kind of vibe because it's consistent. He understands how to, how to harness the song, how to drive it, how to hit all the gears and nail it every time. That's an art. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. That is an art, understanding different styles and how to set things up. Then there's Keith LeBlanc, who I've worked with for years, who understands, every, you know, all different types of pockets. He Because he, we've done all the Sugar Hill records, but how to play with a click. Not everybody can play with a click. Or how to play slow with a click. That's when the shower runs on a lot of drummers. You're playing a slow blues, that shower will come on. The hot water will start to steam up. So pockets are, are, are you know, are, are, are the drummer, how can he play different pockets, different styles to give you that confidence? And it's stability. And if a pocket, if a drummer doesn't have that, it becomes uncomfortable at times for uh, an unpredictable for me as a basis to know okay is he dropping the pocket is he what does that mean he's letting up on the groove is he speeding up is he slowing down is the bass drum not i can't hear this i can't hear the kick drum you started off one way you sound like you're running out of energy in a little bit (laughs) what the hell's going on here you know what i'm saying then i gotta go over there and kind of start going into the body language of you know so this but but this is what us bass players have to do because the drummer's not the only one laying in the pocket we are too we're all responsible for keeping each other in the pocket so together yeah so so it's like the pocket is for a drummer get that you know understanding the bpm understanding the tempo being able to play that back every time you start that song. Some drummers, they'll start a song and they'll just start clicking their, 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 their drumsticks. I'm like, you're playing, you're about to play it too fast. That's not what we did before. So you're Have not you actually said that. Yeah, but Have you're not you able to create a pocket if you keep changing the tempo. Right. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're having a great time, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop. It's already going to be about five, five. And the way you deal with, the way you do deal with that is you play a game. You just kind of like oh, do a little drum game. You put the click tell on. Me about it. Let's, well, let's put, hear it. We love playing the game. Put a record on. Turn it off. I put a BP. Put the put the drum track on. All right, you you count it. All right, keep going. Turn the drum track off. Keep counting. Put it back on. Where are you at? That's it. <laughs> are you close? Or are you not? Are you not close? So, it's it's a game that you that that you, you get to play, and people understand where their pocket is. Daru understands the pocket well, and he understands yes. the tempo and how to find space so that you can play. He's, a, he's brilliant at understanding that pocket, playing behind the beat. Well, that's one of my favorite things about Daru is, is he can sit so far behind, yet it's still moving. And that's, exactly. that takes... exactly. I believe that's a natural talent. But it takes listening and it takes just letting yourself uh, or having the ability to feel as you're playing and to listen. And, and uh, it's, you know, 
It's amazing. Yeah, that's straight up Jay Dilla. That's straight up hip hop. That's yeah. swat. That's that's that Quantize way behind the beat playing that vibe, and he I think he plays it better than 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 most. He's so good at that, and it's funny if you're not used to it, you'll hear. You, I know some folks have played some of the DMD stuff for some folks. Like that's wrong. Something's wrong. <laughs> and after a while, I just listen. I'll just watch, and after a while, they'll they'll vibe up, and they'll go, "Oh no, it's right, and it's 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 there." It's just like it's a different feel if, if, for what if, you're if, used to hearing. Yeah, that's I, I all would it agree is. With that, you know, for a drummer, for me, if I can play along or just listen to a groove, and my head starts to bop a little bit, or my foot starts to tap a little bit, he's doing his job and keeping it there. And even non-musicians, if they can do that too, hey, that's happiness right there. Totally, Josh. It's nothing worse than un than than things being than the groove moving or the pocket moves, and then you, and every time you play the song, you it's, you're in this this cone of uncertainty. It's like a hurricane's coming. You don't know which way it's going to come, and then it's, it's for me, it's very uncomfortable. The solution is with calm and with a way to. Find, uh, you know, uh, something that's you work with the drummer work, you know, if you, you, you don't don't get him to call with the guitar player after rehearsal. Go, yo, man, this guy's what's going on? You sit, you know, <laughs> no man up and you get on and go, yo, yo, you and I, let's let's figure it out. And you know how you do that? You play with a drum machine. You play with some other some, you have something that can give you a sense of uh, of clarity. So, you know, where your BPM is. And also have the drummer be responsible of when he, because the drummers are always like, want, want to, they want to count the song off. And generally they do. And, and so it's, it's, that's a hell of a responsibility to understand it. For, if you're going to count something off, have the tempo right. If it's thrash or whatever, <laughs> fair enough. Or if you want to wiggle it around like, you know, that's okay. But, it, but if you're working with, with multiple people, it's your responsibility. So let's... If there's an issue with that, let's start. Let's go back to ground zero, and let's not necessarily. You can have a click, you can have a click with a light, and not that you have to be that military. But I like it when the drummer is playing with a get them playing with the, with a drum machine and have some headphones on and and have them pl play a track where it's like no, here's where it is, and you kind of got to keep it in that pocket for a while. It's good discipline for everybody, or things can just move around. And it's like you're building a house, man. You got to have the foundation to me solid, or else the yeah. cement never the cement will 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 um form lopsided. And there Great you go. suggestions, man. All right. So there's this thing uh, uh, we kind of like to do. It's called this or that. Okay. And I don't know if you're into it. It's kind of a rapid fire, real quick questions. Um, you down to do it? Let's go. All right. Text or call? Call. Okay. Active or passive? Both. Okay. Uh, fuzz or overdrive? Overdrive. Beach hut or cabin? Say it again. Beach hut or a cabin in the mountains? <sighs> That's a good one, man. Right now, I take the beach hut. That's always for me. But <laughs> <laughs> honesty or other people's feelings? Honesty. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Um, shoot. Right now, or right now, you really tea, even though I drink coffee. I say tea. All right. 
right. We disagree. We yeah. agree to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> well, I drink all right, coffee all the time, but I'm like, yeah, honestly, I, yeah, I drink that because of my wife. But honestly, I should be being honest. I really should be drinking tea, so I'm being honest. Got you. I appreciate honesty. Last one. Love or money? Love. Definitely. Dude, thank you so much for hanging. I really do appreciate you. Um, you're on social media. Do you want to mention anything where, where you are? Yeah, Everybody you know, just you. Google my name and see what comes up. It's a, it's a very, it, <laughs> I have one of those interesting last names. I have a website that's actually being, being kind of like remodeled right now. So you can, you know, stay tuned. But um, yeah, you know, uh, and just drop me a line. I'm, I'm friendly. I don't, I don't bite. I only nibble. So, uh, and also good people, if you, it's not even about me, it's really about, you know, all of us. Let's make sure to, let's try to support each other. And, and I'm thankful that I, I, I have a platform and work with a lot of folks, but let's help the next generation and even folks right now that can use some love and if, and, and, and music calms the wild beast. So, you know, make sure you don't check out just myself. Check out Josh, check out Daryl, check out all the great players out there so that we can keep this love and vibe going on. That's where my head is at. Well put, my friend. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Stay healthy and kind. Spread love, good vibes, and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path and just play. I'm Josh Paul. I hope to see you out there sometime soon. And thank you to Dunlop for making this show possible. And be sure to check out Face Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Cheers. Until next time.